Welcome to another episode of the Agile Embedded Podcast. I'm Luca Injani. I host this podcast together with my friend Jeff Gable, who unfortunately is not able to join us today. So it's just going to be me and, of course, our distinguished guest, John Odo. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, Luca. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Uh, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what have you been up to so far? Well, I've been uh, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of different roles in my career. Um, I have worked as a project manager, a product manager, an engineering manager. Um, I've worked at five different startups. I've worked at companies as small as uh, having been employee number four or five, and I'm currently at a fifty thousand person organization, forty thousand person organization called Liberty Mutual, um, is one of the largest uh, insurance companies in the world. My role currently is uh, practice lead for product ownership. And that means that I support the 250 product owners that we have in our US property and casualty business, which is roughly a $22 billion business, helping them understand what it means to be a great product owner and a great product manager, how they support their teams and how they help align the vision of the organization to the tactical execution that we have at the team level. I do enjoy the aspects of coaching, but I've been really lucky to be able to also have roles in in program management as well, where I've encountered a number of sort of hardware, software, uh, agile configurations, including, I say most recently at, at Jibo, which was a, um, a robotics startup where we, we spent um, close to a quarter of a billion dollars bringing a, a robot to life. Um, and ultimately, uh, one could say it was not a commercially successful venture, but there was a lot learned there and, and certainly a lot learned in a number of the other uh, hardware and software um, places that I've worked. Uh, just by, just looking at the website, it certainly was a very cute robot. It was. Um, and funded by, or I should say started uh, from some pretty groundbreaking research on human computer interaction at the MIT Media Lab. So our chief science officer is truly brilliant. And she uh, was able to uh, to discover or uncover in a, in a much more quantitative way than had been known before, just how much people interact with things that are even, that look even slightly like they have a degree of agency. Um, and so one of the um, one of the first robots that she built was called Kismet, and it was really for looking at um, helping folks with sort of with autism and spectrum disorder think about how they interact with um, other people. And so it had very large expressive eyes and a very large expressive face. It would do kind of outsized smiles and frowns and really help people who had difficulty recognizing those things in, in other human beings, help them understand how to recognize them and how to think about appropriate responses. And some of that was the research that underpinned uh, why we wanted to build Jibo. The idea was to create this um, this mode of interacting with technology that was really based on um, our connection to other beings with agency, other entities that we perceive as having sort of a, a mind of their own, um, whether that's a robot or a pet or another human being, 
we find that the sort of the attachment to and the forgiveness of the way that those things behave is is much greater if you attach some degree of of agency to the things that you're working with. And that was that was really the idea is to create a an easier way for people to interface with technology than a keyboard and a screen. Wonderful. And I think that brings us around to the topic that I was hoping to explore with you today, uh, which is the topic of roadmaps. So maybe maybe making the connection between, I don't know, the development team or uh, the customers and, and the product, right? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think roadmaps, roadmaps are, are pretty misunderstood. Um, people tend to think of a roadmap as being, they think of the, that the roadmap is the important thing. The roadmap is actually the record of the important things. The important things are the alignment on the intent of where we're going in near term and where we're going in longer term. And that's that's where I think a lot of people go wrong, is they'll focus very clearly on, well, how do I get my roadmap to be I want to make sure that it's it's got the right pieces to it. I want to make sure I've got the right detail level. I want to make sure it's 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 looking at the the appropriate concerns that we have for for hardware, for software, for customer interaction, and all those things are they are important. But the focus tends to be on the roadmap itself. The place to focus needs to be is on the alignment of the people who are building the stuff the roadmap represents. I think if you're if you're focused there, you're going to do a lot better than if you're focused on, on building the perfect roadmap that shows everybody where to go. Yeah, but but that was kind of why I I wanted to invite you here because I agree that roadmaps are a difficult subject anyway, and it feels like they are an even touchier and even more difficult subject in something like embedded systems where you have you know very different aspects. You have your software aspects, you have your hardware aspects, which uh, you know point towards issues of manufacturing, of delivery timelines, et cetera, of supply Absolutely. issues. So um, I imagine that makes roadmaps even more important and perhaps more difficult to, to create and maintain than, quote unquote, merely software product roadmaps. I think so. And I think there are there are probably two or three really uh, I don't know if I would call them differences, but they're, they're places where you need to focus more intently when working in hardware and embedded systems. I think the probably the biggest one is hard dollars. So when we build software, we have teams that we are likely to fund that are reasonably long-lived. In some cases, we're, we're doing uh, contract work, but most of the time it's, it's long-lived teams. So the question is not, do we spend the money on these folks? The question is, how do we optimize the time and the effort that, they're, that they are spending? So we expect that we're gonna have this team for a while, it's gonna do stuff. When we're working in hardware and embedded, we're actually talking about dollars going out the door and that feels very different, right? So it's, it's that question of, um, if I'm going to do a four versus five layer PCBA, then I need to think about the cost now the cost for design, the cost for production, the cost for PVT, and then how am I going to do cost reduction once I actually get that product out the door? I'm thinking about those dollars. Whereas when I'm looking at a team, I'm just thinking about whether they are more or less productive. That feels easier. That feels less, um, 
it feels like it's less high stakes. I think that's one of the two big things. I think the other two, the other big thing is unless you are, you know, the size of Apple, and even Apple has this concern, there are more things that feel like they're out of your control when you're dealing with hardware and embedded systems. Particularly in modern software, the there are, in many cases, the constraints around memory and size, the constraints around um, interface and how people interact with them, the constraints around data, they're, they're nearly limitless compared to an embedded system. They're nearly limitless compared to the hardware if you're actually building hardware. And I think those, those pieces where, uh, one, you're talking about real dollars and that feels, that feels, um, that feels more high stakes. And the other, um, sort of thinking about this notion of um, uh, our ability to make, uh, make decisions around things that are outside of our control manufacturing and um, and the the limitations of particular pieces of hardware uh, those two things make uh, hardware and embedded systems feel a lot more high stakes and a lot more a lot more difficult uh, a lot more difficult okay but um, I'm, I'm okay and and maybe we should just take a step back in a second um, and think about what even sh you know is a roadmap and what should be in it and what shouldn't be in it but I'm wondering like if those things are out of our control, should they even be in a roadmap? That's a great question. Um, if we think about a roadmap as being your statement of intent, the work that we expect to be doing over some medium term, then the dependencies, the risks, the limitations, as well as the options should be represented there somehow. And again, when you're, when you're thinking about software, uh, we probably would not add in limitations like this team only knows how to work on this technology. And the reason is not because it's not true. The reason we don't add in is because that's that's in our context, that's understood. With hardware, we tend to want to make that, that boundary a little bit more explicit. So we will add in limitations like uh, this this hardware that we've chosen or you know this this um, this chip that we've chosen only runs this quickly. These cameras that we have only have a you know 190 degree field of vision, so we're going to miss things that are beyond that. These microphones don't pick up anything under 1K, so we're going to lose voices, but we'll get a lot of high pitched sounds, and that's actually what we're looking for. Those pieces uh, tend to be just as critical, the kind of limitations and boundaries, as the pieces that are not there they're a lot sharper in hardware than they are in software. And so they tend to be in hardware roadmaps, whereas you don't see those kinds of things in software roadmaps. Okay, so so now we're kind of in the thick of it, right? So what should a good roadmap look like, in your opinion? What should be in it? What shouldn't be in it? A good roadmap should have your, so your near-term priorities and your longer-term priorities. The near-term priorities give me enough context, enough information that I can actually I can derive work out of it. So if I'm looking at a near-term roadmap, uh, I'll, I'll be looking for what are we trying to do in the next couple of months to a couple of quarters so that I can sequence my work most effectively and most efficiently. And that could be things like this feature needs to be developed or we need to solve for the scalability problem or we have a new customer that we're trying to go after and this customer is a less known type so we're gonna run a number of different experiments to try and figure that out. 
And then I'm going to want to see some longer term priorities. And those longer term priorities are going to help me frame the near term work. So when I think about what I might see in the longer term and what we, we might call the next next of a roadmap or the next of a roadmap, where things are a little bit fuzzier, they're not quite so, uh, they're not quite so well defined. There'll be things like, we're expecting to go after this market that we don't currently have. We are expecting to get to a place where we're able to process 10 times the number of transactions in the next 18 to 24 months. We're thinking about these competitors or this new technology that's coming out, and we're going to want to incorporate somehow this new technology into our product. We don't quite know how yet. And why is that critical? It's critical because if I know the new markets we're going after, if I knew the new customers that we're thinking about, if I know the competitors we're concerned with, if I know the technology that we're looking at, then I'm going to make decisions in my short-term implementation that support those. Not that I'm necessarily going to directly address them, although that might be the case in, in uh, some areas. The likelihood is what I'm really looking at is if we're going to be going to this technology, I can make much smarter decisions about which tech debt to retire. I can make much smarter decisions about how scalable to make the, the system that I'm building. And those things are, are important to keeping a good long-term, short-term balance. A roadmap is a great tool for being able to do that. Okay, and that that also cleared up a couple of questions that I had as you were describing this, because I was thinking myself to myself, well, that sounds kind of like a product backlog. You know, it's it's got all of the things that I would like to be doing, and you know, some some kind of prioritization. Yeah, but from what I'm hearing, you said a a, um, a roadmap contains more than that. Like it contains, for example, markets that I'm considering to enter, for instance, which I suppose wouldn't have a place in a product backlog, right? That's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, I can imagine that if I think of a product backlog as the answers, then the roadmap is often going to also contain the questions. So if my backlog is sort of a traditional agile product backlog, which is the entire universe of everything I might ever want to do with this product, where the stuff that's refined at the top of the backlog is the stuff we're really working on, and the stuff at the bottom could be a, a wish list or a drunk drawer or the way of a the way for a product owner to say like, yes, that's on my backlog. Please go away so I can work on the real stuff. Um, then you might have those things in the backlog. The way I would look at something like we need to explore a new customer type or these are the markets we're going after is that in the roadmap, I might say we currently go after CFOs. We're going to move down to controllers and to finance accountants in the next 18 to 24 months with the new product that we're building. So we need to start thinking about more detail in how we present financial results. And in order for us to do that, we need to be able to gain, we need to be able to gain access to data sources that CFOs don't care about. And we need to be able to do analysis at a lower level than CFOs care about. So that might be in my roadmap. My roadmap might say, these are the folks we're going after. We need these new data sources. We need these uh, new kinds of features. We need a lot more tools for reporting and custom reporting than, than CFOs are looking for. In my product, in my product backlog, I'm going to have uh, hook up this data source and see what that looks like. I'm going to have build out a reporting tool that allows me to customize things in a way that I wasn't able to do before. I'm going to have um, 
run 50 interviews with accountants to be able to understand what their needs are so that we can work on the right features for that customer set, which is different from our current customer set. So you can think about it as um, intent and alignment is my product roadmap. Work actualization is my product backlog. Yeah, and I suppose in that sense, um, to, to bring it back into, for example, embedded systems terms, what you might have in your product backlog would be, I'm sorry, in your roadmap would be things like, uh, we want to incorporate, I don't know, location data into a product. And then that would translate into, uh, we need to figure out which, I don't know, GPS chip to buy, um, how to integrate it into the rest of our software, et cetera, right? Exactly. We might see something in a um, in a roadmap for for hardware that says we currently only work with Wi-Fi, but we're going to want to do cell. Um, or we are in the U.S., so CDMA and TDMA is what we're looking for, but we're going to go to Europe, so GSM is going to be important, right? And so in my hardware backlog, I'm going to look at a spin that is. Um, I have a, def- a couple of different choices, right? I can I can create a new board. And the new board might have multiple chips, which has trade-offs. I can create a new board that has a single chip that has uh, has multiple uh, radios in it, and that has a, a set of other trade-offs. Some of them are price, some of them are power consumption, uh, some of them are size. So I might have those decisions already made, or I might be looking at uh, um, trying to experiment with some of those and, and thinking about them at the sort of at the DVT stage and see, can I can actually cram this multipurpose chip in here or not? And I think those are the things uh, my roadmap will say, uh, we're going to start looking at these other markets and these other markets use uh, different forms of wireless and we need to be able to accommodate all of those. My product backlog will say, we're going to, you know, we're going to experiment with these different things and we're going to have to make a choice. Are we actually going to spin two different boards? Are we going to spin a single board with a lot of stuff? Are we going to spin it this way or this way or this way? And that's where other parts of my roadmap are going to be really critical. Do I think the European market is going to be 10x what we're looking at or 0.5x what we're looking at? Because that will change whether or not I'm thinking about um, is it worth spinning off an entirely new product that is similar but different for the European market? Or uh, is do we have any price elasticity at all? So if my product is $79, I probably don't have a lot. My product is $7,000, then I probably have a lot more. And that means that I can explore various options that are not open to me at a lower price product. So those things are, are things that most people who are working on embedded systems will always have in their heads. My roadmap would would hopefully help me prioritize which of these things we can do and give me a sense of where I have given play, particularly beyond the hardware and the embedded space, so that I can think as an engineer, what choices do I have and where where can I push the envelope? Whereas um, if you don't have those in your roadmap, if I don't know, for example, that uh, I could potentially double the price of my $79 product, if I'm going to a market in the US, because the US is willing to bear much more of the cost than some other place, then I don't know that I have options that I'm, I'm currently looking at. So knowing about my pricing options, it's, it's a critical piece of a roadmap. It may not necessarily be in my product backlog. That's very interesting. So exactly, just like you said, it, it feels like the, the roadmap is this critical 
this this critical document that gives you or, or tool maybe that gives you context to base all of your prioritization, all of your decisions as far as your product backlog on. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I, I was curious because you mentioned something offhand. You said there was a, uh, a hardware roadmap. So would you, would you imagine that an embedded product would have separate hardware and software roadmaps, or should there be like a unified product roadmap? How would, what, what makes more sense for you? Ah, the question is that goes to a question I think you you asked me a little bit before this that I I pondered because I thought it was a it's a really excellent one. Who is the roadmap for? If you tell me who your roadmap is for, I can tell you if you should have an integrated hardware or software roadmap, or if you should have separate ones. If you have a small enough organization that is technically savvy enough, I'll probably want an integrated roadmap if the audience is the folks who are delivering the actual work into the product. If I am looking at my my financiers, my backers, my CFO, then I might actually have a separate hardware roadmap and a separate software roadmap so that I can highlight the decision points on where hard dollars need to go out the door or where software teams are going to be pivoted onto different things. If my audience type is essentially external folks because I want to get them excited about what we're doing uh, and developers because they're going to be developing on top of a platform that I'm building and marketing uh, because I think we're going to be using a lot of sort of external hype in order to get our our product uh, in a place where folks are interested in it, then I'm probably going to do a roadmap that's actually pretty high level and that's really much more feature oriented than it is either hardware or software oriented. So in the first case, I might say, here's where we make a decision about a four layer board versus a five layer board. In the second case, I might say, here's where we make the decision between a $150 board and a $200 board. In the third case, I might say, now with 50% more power to run everything you could possibly want. And all of those are legitimate. They're all great ways of looking at how your roadmap should be laid out. The real question is, for whom are you building your roadmap? Who are you trying to align to the work that you're doing? But does that mean that I should actually have multiple roadmaps even? If my audiences have very, very similar needs, I would probably try to keep it to one roadmap or fewer roadmaps. If my audiences have wildly different contexts in which they're thinking about what we're delivering and I want to align them to higher level goals, the likelihood is I will have separate roadmaps. So when we were at Jibo, we had a roadmap for software, we had a roadmap for hardware, and we had a roadmap for our sort of platform embedded layer. And the reason that we had three or possibly four roadmaps, depending on how you look at it, was because one of our critical audiences was our executive team and the and the board. So we need to have an overall roadmap that talked about when features would ship and when things would happen so that they could uh, decide when we're going to spend a whole bunch of money on marketing, decide whether we were going to go with you know 30 or 40,000 units for uh, for um, a next drop, decide whether or not we were ready to go to a trade show or whether we should hold off until the next trade show. When it came to figuring out uh, whether we were in position to start exploring a different board configuration to support 
what we were trying to do with the real-time operating system that was running on that board and to take a look at sort of the three to five year plan, we wanted to have a different roadmap. And that roadmap was sort of the hardware embedded roadmap that let us think about that stuff. It was really important, we found, not to show that roadmap to our executives. Anything you show to someone, they are going to want to comment on, they're going to want to think about, they're going to want to have some input into. So it's not that we hid it, we just didn't make it really accessible to them. And we didn't spend a lot of time talking with them about whether or not we were going to look at a, a different board spin in order to support cost reduction in, you know, in 12 to 18 months. We simply said, we're going to be supporting cost reduction because we know the, the goal is for us to hit 60 points of margin. And right now we're hitting 34 points of margin. And that's fine. That's fine because this is a prototype. And we're going to do, uh, we'll do our production validation tests. We'll figure this stuff out. We'll figure out how to cost reduce in terms of manufacturing. But the likelihood is we're also going to have to, you know, cut 50 bucks off the board. That's, we're going to have to figure out how to do that. And here's the time frame we're looking at it. The Q2 of next year is when we're looking at doing a cost reduced spin of the board. Before that, we're going to start looking at ways in which we can make manufacturing cheaper. And if none of that works, we're going to have to think about a different manufacturer. So now that we've got that laid out, that's what the roadmap looks like. None of that talked about board spins. None of that talked about how um, the kinds of features we're trying to build, quite frankly, because that was not what we wanted to align them to. We wanted to align them to this notion of, you know that you want to have something that's a little cheaper because we know we want to make this a going concern. And in order to do that, we need to have 60 points of margin. And we're roughly halfway there now. Here's how we think we're going to close the gap. That is so interesting because I, I think... You know, I, I love the way you framed it in terms of, well, who are you communicating to? Because I think that's, just like you said, clears everything up, doesn't it? Like, if you know who you're talking to, you probably know what to tell them uh, in terms of they, that makes sense to them. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, when I think about my product roadmap, it's it's always funny to me that product managers do not often see the roadmap as a product, but the roadmap is a product. It is a product that is specifically purpose designed to align people to the underlying product, right? The whole purpose of my roadmap is to get people to understand why they should support my decisions and my team's decisions on what we're building and when we're building it and why we're building it. That we've really thought about and we're spinning a narrative and telling a story about what's the next and the next next pieces of work that are gonna be the most valuable in the life of my product. So I have a set of audiences I should think about. I can try different things. I can look at the problem problem, uh, problem space. I can take a look at the solution space. And then I can take a look at scale. So my first product roadmap might have a lot of detail. I might have three versions or four versions or five versions of it because I'm trying to figure out what problems do I need to solve for which audience type. I might not even know, for example, um, although we found this out, that the board and the CEO and the CEO and the CMO are different audiences. And we actually need to think about different ways of spinning my roadmaps to be able to support those different audiences. We thought, um, in the case of this one startup, we thought those are all the same audience. They're the senior executives. That's one customer type. Turns out they were different customer types and we had to think about it differently. So start out by exploring that problem space, understanding what they're trying to do. Don't ask, show. Here's my roadmap. What do you think? Oh, it doesn't talk about this enough. Great. Now I understand that. Here's my next roadmap. What do you think? Iterate and adapt in an agile fashion. Build as build things to throw away at the beginning. And 
tune your roadmap in the same way that you would tune your product. Wow, I love this. Uh, this is, you know, this is so fascinating. I mean, the downside is it sounds like work. <laughs> it's a very large amount of work, yes. <laughs> but it's so interesting because I was wondering, okay, how does how does a roadmap look for an embedded system, you know, for, for some kind of hardware-based product? How is it different from um, from software products? And what are you telling me is, well, even even for a really simple software product, you might end up with a whole bunch of roadmaps talking to your different audiences. And, uh, you know, you'll have a, a roadmap that addresses the technical concerns for the engineers, and you'll have a roadmap that addresses the marketing concerns for the marketing people, and etc. right? Shouldn't you wrap that all into one big roadmap to keep everybody happy? Think about that as the difference between your MVP, understanding, building, building multiple roadmaps to understand and explore the problem space, and my ultimate product. And my ultimate product at the end of the day is a simple, sleek, elegant roadmap that single source supports and aligns the decisions that I'm trying to make across multiple different constituencies. So if you think about systems theory, and we think about the idea that I'm going to build something that changes the interaction of the actors, and the actors are going to in turn interact upon my roadmap on my system, then I'm doing at least two things here. I'm trying to build something that supports the needs and the intents of my various different stakeholders. At the same time, I'm also trying to change my stakeholders' understanding and behavior so that they see the same goals, the same intents for the product, even though they're working on different aspects of it. So that I can say, there's a reason that we don't have every single marketing campaign listed in my product roadmap. It's because the most important thing is the outcome of that marketing campaign. This campaign is designed to drive new users. This campaign is designed to drive retention. This campaign is designed is designed to introduce us to a new market. That's the point of those. Now that you understand what those are, you can see how I can have a single product roadmap that still talks about marketing campaigns and still talks about hardware and still talks about the embedded system and still talks about the software that supports it, can talk about all of those things, but does so at a level of abstraction in a language high enough that it actually aligns folks. Now, underneath that, you, you will certainly have marketing campaign. You can think about those as um, product backlogs. Uh, you'll have sales backlogs. You'll have product backlogs. And all of those are the work that go into supporting that roadmap. But at a certain point, you don't need to have all that detail in the product roadmap. So pull up enough detail, create enough detail that you can align folks to what those things mean, get them to understand those points in abstraction, get those abstractions aligned so that people agree on what they mean, and then you can reduce the complexity of your roadmap down to something that's simpler and more elegant. It's a lot of work, but that's how you keep an entire organization of multidisciplinary folks pulling in the same direction on, on the stuff that we're building, which is usually, especially if it's hardware, software, novel, exciting, complicated 
right? It's complicated and it's fun. And if we want to keep people aligned to that, then we need to make sure that we keep the intensity of their interest there. And that means we have to speak to them through our product roadmap. I love the way you put that. Um, because, I've, you know, isn't isn't that a wonderful position to be in, to, you know, to really enjoy your work and to do something exciting and fun? Yes. Even if, you know, even if it looks like drudgery on the outside, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of excitement there, isn't there? So, no, you were going to say something. Please go on. There's a... Um... <clears throat> Uh, a really fun story about uh, about purpose. And <clears throat> if you think about uh, uh, Daniel Pink's book, Drive, and thinking about autonomy, mastery, and purpose, and sort of purpose and what we're doing being really important, there's the um, often told in agile circles, a uh, 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 guy walks by three people who are bricklayers. He goes to the first one and says, hey, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying some bricks. He goes to the second guy and he says, oh, what, do you, what are you working on? What are you doing there? And he says, I'm building a church. And he goes to the third one and says, what are you doing? And the third one says, I'm building a house to God. And you think about which one is going to be imbued with more purpose, is going to think about their work, even if their work is you know, simple and repetitive, even if the work involves a lot of precision and a lot of detail, like coding does, like testing hardware does. Um, if you're talking about testing, you know, tens of thousands of configurations, tens of, tens of thousands of inputs and outputs, if you're even if your job is, you know, I'm doing production validation, so I'm trying to figure out the the best way to to design this piece of hardware so that it can be put together as quickly as possible. If I just move this piece over here and built this piece in this way, then they could put it together 10 seconds faster. And when you're talking about millions of units, that is a significant difference. So, am I trying to save 15 seconds in the production process at this line? Or am I trying to make this extraordinary product available at a low enough cost that a child could buy it with their allowance? Now you can see why it's so important to connect people to purpose and why a roadmap as part of that becomes a critical piece of your work as a product manager. Yeah, and just to point out that I've experienced uh, many times over how hard it is to actually take that perspective of not laying oh, a bunch yes. of bricks, but building a house to God. Um, like if if I do a product owner training, for instance, one of the things that I do fairly early on is I say, okay, please describe to me, each person in the training, what um, what value are you offering to your customers? And what I inevitably get back is a list of activities that they all do. Features, activities. It's great because it does this, this, and this. Absolutely. Exactly. And it's like, I don't care. Like, how are you providing something interesting, some, something valuable to your customers, whoever they may be? I don't even care, but can you mm -hmm. describe the value to me? And it's, and it's interesting that I think particularly in engineers, it's just so ingrained to think in terms of activities, in terms of tasks, and not so much in terms of mm -hmm. purpose. And I suppose this is what uh, what the roadmap should should offer us, right? I think the roadmap is the, it's a critical piece of that. The the vision, the product vision, which, you know, and I, I think the best product visions are, they're evocative, they are, they're rarely words, although they occasionally they are, they're, they're images, they're things that, that engage as many senses as possible to get people to see what 
what's the extraordinary thing I'm bringing into the world that I am part of bringing into the world as a product manager, as an engineer that doesn't exist now. The product vision gives you that, that, that sort of like limitless, what a great thing is this going, what a great thing this is, is going to be. The mission gives you more of a focus on what are the three or four things that this changes about people's life. So the vision might be, uh, um, a brilliant, elegant new harvester. The mission might be make it possible for farmers to uh, harvest 10 times as many crops without having to go into a repair shop anytime in the next 10 years. Uh, and the roadmap might be build these pieces into the harvester, make sure that you have these these uh, components available, hook it up to the data that we have about soil conditions, about rainfall, about climate and climate change, and um, and the kinds of seeds that are going to be the best to, to plant and, and to harvest. And the individual bits of work sort of in my, in my roadmap might be do this one first, and then do this one next, and then solve this problem, and then make sure that we understand that this risk is mitigated before we move on to the next thing. Okay, that was that was interesting. You just added a couple of new concepts here. So maybe we should take a couple of minutes to sort of put the roadmap in context. So we have we, we talked about a sure. truck back, backlog, which you know is is sort of the list of all of the features that we imagine our product should have. Um we've got um we've got the roadmap. We've, which we've talked about, but what else is there? Is the roadmap like the, the, the highest level item we have? I guess not, because you just talked about vision and mission. Um, is there something else? Yeah. And, and how does it all connect? So <clears throat> vision, uh, oftentimes uh, people will use uh, company vision as a vision for their product, which is okay. Sometimes that's the right thing to do if you have a single product company. Uh, but vision is the, that's the inspirational piece. It is the highest level aligning function that you create. You can do a text-based vision. You can actually write a vision out. They are best when they engage all the senses, as many senses as possible. Um, you can think of a concept car as being a vision, right? So when somebody builds a concept car, it's a vision. When you see a fashion show, what you're seeing there is a vision for the fashion line. You're seeing that designer's vision for what things could look like. That's not actually what they're going to build. You don't actually see that in a store. That's their vision. The mission gives you a, and as, as a separate piece, the, the mission gives you sort of the long-term goals and outcomes that you're trying to achieve. So those can be lofty and aspirational. They can be, you know, make, oftentimes when you see um, folks write about their company, vision, they're actually writing about the mission. Uh, organize the world's information, right? That's actually a mission, right? The vision would be, uh, would have been a, a great, uh, a great vision would be uh, a small child um, going on to Alexa and saying, hey, Alexa, play wheels on the bus for me. That's a, that's a great vision, right? Or would have been 10 years ago before that became a commonplace thing. Uh, that's a great, that's a great vision. And those two things give you the kind of aspirational where we want to be. What's the, what's the purpose? What's the thing we're building? How are we changing the world with, with the, with the product that we're building? The roadmap is a, largely speaking, it is a 
uh, aligning and converging function. So the roadmap says, if my vision is to uh, see small children be able to uh, play videos, play songs, uh, access information about Mount Kilimanjaro, like that's the thing that I'm trying to do, and the mission is organize the world's information, then the roadmap says in order to do that, we need to hook up every data store to our system. And the product backlog, which is the actual work that precipitates out of that roadmap, will be start with this data store, then start with this one, then build a data lake, then do this, then do this. By the way, let's make sure that we're thinking about uh, which pieces of information are proprietary and need to be filtered out. That's a risk that we need to worry about. Let's make sure that we're thinking about how people can access this, because if there's an unlimited amount of information, um, access becomes important, that becomes a critical and difficult thing for people to, to figure out. Let's make sure that we're thinking about the real-time nature of creation of information. So we've got information being created all the time. How do we catalog that? How do we index that? How do we do that in a way that is scalable for the entire world? Those are some of the problems that we're going to try and solve. And now that I'm thinking about my vision, which in this case, riffing off of Google, um, my vision is to create a Google for children. So probably the very first thing I want to think about is safety. Make sure that we're taking all the stuff that I don't want a child to see out because that's going to be critical. And if I were not thinking about this as a product for children, that's a lot less critical. If I'm thinking about it as a product only for adults and some naughty or nefarious things or scary or dangerous things end up in there, well, I'm gonna expect the adults to be able to filter that out for themselves. And that vision and that mission and the way that we organize those, those give the right context so that when you're making a decision about whether we can use this data source filtered or unfiltered, the question is not yes or no. The question is, how much filtering do I need for the particular audience and for the particular vision that I have? And how am I fulfilling my mission by doing those things? Okay, wonderful. There's another question that I had, or, or a bunch of questions really, regarding the practicalities of how do you create a roadmap? First of which is maybe, who should be writing roadmaps in the first place? Whose responsibility should it be? Whoever's responsibility it is to order the work of the team, to set the priorities, that's the person who should be writing the roadmap. And I think the the this should create a it should create a series of interesting conversations if your product manager or product owner is not the person doing that. Right. So if my product manager really has the job of uh, creating the best executable sequence of work that somebody else is creating, then my immediate question that jumps to mind is, why are you the product manager? If the CEO wants to be the product manager, then the CEO has the responsibility for writing the roadmap, communicating the vision, aligning everybody to it, and, and et cetera, et cetera. That product manager, should be given a different set of skills, be called a project manager, program manager, delivery lead, um, whatever whatever you want to do, but make their you can make their role clearer and say, your job is not to help envision the product, your job is to create the best execution path towards a vision that is not yours. And by doing that, it makes it a lot easier for us to have the right conversations. Um, and as a coach, I think that's that's I often use roadmaps as as a way in to be able to say, if you're not creating a roadmap and you're not empowered, 
you were not expected by the organization to make those decisions, is this the right role? Are we thinking about our roles appropriately or should we be thinking about them in a slightly different way? Interesting. And, and but, but to take this further and say, well, if we have a bunch of roadmaps, should this, for, for example, a hardware roadmap and a product roadmap and a software roadmap, should those all be written by by the one poor like product manager? Is that person responsible for the prioritization and sequencing of the work of the teams that underlie the roadmap? That would be the question. So in some, and this is where this is where it gets difficult. Sometimes, not infrequently, you will have a hardware engineering manager who's responsible for that work. And then you'll have an embedded systems engineer or embedded systems manager who might be responsible for that work. And then you might have a software manager who's responsible for that. And a product manager kind of floating off over here, writing features, throwing them over the transom and, and hoping to God they all come together, right? Um, so I think when you, when you break it down to its essential principle, who is responsible for extracting or, or for pointing out the value that we're trying to create in the overall product for the customer that person is responsible for that roadmap. If they need help because there are technical pieces to it, I might have uh, underlying product managers, product owners, call them what you will, but folks who are responsible for the prioritization of the work of a particular team and its subspecialty, I would have them at least a dotted line into that product manager, if not reporting to them, so that you actually have someone who is speaking for the product. There are rare occasions where you can have multiple people who together collectively are the decision-making body for a single product. In order to do that, you, it requires extraordinary teamwork, extraordinary trust, psychological safety, extraordinary alignment. Uh, it's, it's a very, very difficult model. If you think about um, uh, which organizations you've seen that have co-CEOs, there are very, very few. So usually the, the best way to solve that problem is there's somebody whose responsibility is the overall coordination. There may be people who are responsible for subcomponents of that, but they all have to, at least from the standpoint of, of what the roadmaps look like, they all have to roll up to a single decision maker or a single unitary decision body. Mm -hmm. But it's important to me to point out for the benefit of the listeners that even if somebody has responsibility for a given roadmap, doesn't mean that this poor soul has to do it all by themselves. It's perfectly okay to ask for, you know, support, um, advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In fact, I think I Absolutely. think it would be foolish not to ask for these things. Um, this is where this is where accountability and responsibility, I think, are. are some people understand it to be the same, but they're not. Uh, so as a product owner, as a product owner in the, sort of the simplest case, I am accountable for making sure that the work in my product backlog is organized by value. I am not responsible for writing every user story, every bug, every technical task that goes into the product backlog. In many cases, I'm better off having somebody else write those things because the purpose of each of those atomic units of, of description is to point people towards the work that needs to be done. I need to understand it well enough that I can order it by value in the larger context of my roadmap, my vision, and my mission. Now, I'm going to write some of those, ideally, hopefully. 
but I don't have to write all of them. And I should not feel that I am accountable for writing all of them. I am accountable, again, for making sure that they are appropriately ordered and appropriately prioritized to create the maximum value for the product. And I think that's the piece that often with new product managers uh, tends to tends to cause them to go, ooh, really? Like, I don't, I don't write all those things? But if I don't write them, how do I know them? How do I know that they're going to be done right? And I think that's where getting people to divorce the the technical, I understand how versus I understand what and why. It's a really critical growth point and growing edge for a new product manager. The how is less important to you, even if the how is why you got the job. You were the subject matter expert. And that's why you got the job. The what and the why, these things are squishier. They're more difficult to define. They require more conversation. There is often not a right answer. But that's why you make the, the medium-sized bucks as a product owner. That's your job. As a product owner, product manager, your job is to describe the, the what and the why. Interesting. Um, I suppose then, similar to, to a product backlog, which you know is a, is a lot crisper towards the top and a lot squishier towards the bottom, does the same also apply to, um, to roadmaps? Absolutely. And the way I would look at it is um, the, the more you are about to execute on something, the more convergent your items should be. The more they are expected to carry the context externally that we're really just thinking about aligning to the work that we're doing. The further out they are, the more that they're allowing for divergence. The more that we're saying, I really want to create space for people to think about and try different things, different implementation approaches, different technology, um, experiment with different modes of interacting with my customers, experiment with different ways of resolving dependencies with other teams. If we think about our product backlog and we think about our roadmaps as being a guide to how much creativity and how many different domains should I play in any given time, then it becomes uh, a little bit easier to answer the question of, what you know how how granular should my roadmap be how granular should the items at the top versus the bottom of my backlog be it gets back to the the purpose of of those items at the top of the backlog is to make sure that we know what we're working on the purpose of those items at the bottom of the backlog is to make sure that we have the context into which we pour our work okay wonderful um and then just to make it even more concrete and more actionable to to listeners i was I was wondering, what does a good roadmap just actually look like? Like, how long should it be? Should it be a bulleted list? Should it be like, I don't know, an actual drawing of a road or something? Um, maybe do you have some examples that you particularly like that we can stick in the show notes? If you, if not, that's fine. But if you have something that that people can use maybe as a template or something, that would be... I think of of great help to many listeners. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll dig up a few that we could we could put into the show notes. The difficult thing about answering that question is that a good roadmap is one that aligns your audience, and your audiences <laughs> are widely varied, and that's what makes it so hard to answer. Um, I think you want to, and and this is. Um, uh, sort of uh, going with the agile principle of Yagni, you ain't gonna need it, um, and just barely good enough. You want them to be as 
high level and undetailed as you can possibly make them with the underlying principle being the more space I give my team and myself to experiment and play, the likelier I am to come up with great novel innovations that are really, really valuable to the customer. But I don't want to give us so much space that we're no longer aligned on the purpose of what we're doing. So visual is better than words. Uh, evocative is better than prescriptive. General is better than detailed as long as you serve the purpose of aligning your audience to the work that you're doing in the near term and giving them context for that alignment in the long term. As long as we're doing that, that's gonna be the roadmap form that I'm looking for. I have seen people do uh, Amazon type six pagers, which if you are looking at an audience that is very comfortable looking and reading memos and, and taking notes on, on what they're doing and, and having those kinds of conversations. And in short, if you have a culture that looks like uh, Jeff Bezos's idealized version of Amazon, then yes, that's a good way of doing it. Most places are gonna be looking for uh, something that's a little bit easier to digest, something that's a little bit more evocative, something that's gonna be, um, you know, a, a picture of a road, I think is, a, is not a bad way to go. Um, a, a set of, images that you could click on like if you could do if you could do anything you wanted you wanted to have a, a set of really evocative images of what the product looks like now what's going to look like in three months and what's going to look like in nine months and i can actually zoom into each one of those things and see what work we're planning on doing um, maybe big red exclamation points for risks uh, things that are really evocative so things like that tend to be really really uh, successful uh, but again the simplest thing that you can do in order to convey those those things is is really going to be the the best roadmap that you can possibly build. Wonderful. I, I and I think the strongest advice you gave there was Yagni. Like, when in doubt, leave it out. Absolutely. If somebody needs it, they'll ask for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> somebody needs it. They'll Very ask good. For it. Very, very good advice and, and, and perhaps too rarely followed. Um, wonderful. What have we forgotten? What else should we really talk about in terms of roadmaps? Roadmaps are collaborative. That's probably, um, when we talk about, uh, we talked a little bit about product backlogs and, and uh, how you might be accountable for them but not responsible for them. We touched on that a little bit with roadmaps as well. The, the poor product manager trying to put together 17 roadmaps for 17 different teams. Roadmaps should be collaborative. And the question for a good product manager is always going to be, uh, where are you taking input? Where are you asking people to contribute and how? And how do you get them enrolled in the process and being excited about, excited and engaged about, about working on the roadmap with you, as opposed to just thinking that you're, you're basically using their labor to get your work done. Um, as an aligning function, there are very few things that are more powerful than co-creating co-creating your roadmap with your teams, I think is a, is a great way of doing it. Co-creating your roadmap with your teams and your stakeholders is even better. Co-creating your roadmap with your teams, your stakeholders and your customers, that's nirvana. That makes everything work so well. If I have my customers co-creating my roadmap with me, then I now have permission to deviate in any way I want to 
within the boundaries of that roadmap and my customers are going to love it because they're going to go look at that that's the feature i said we should put in there they put that in there it looks totally different from what i thought and doesn't work anything like the way i thought it was but i put that in there i love it i'm going to tell my friends about that it makes a huge huge difference in getting people aligned to the work that you're doing wonderful i th i think that was a very good sort of finishing statement to really put it back to how do you how should you create a roadmap should you create it collaboratively with as many different people as you can most of, notably of course your customers absolutely yeah john i think that was an awesome episode great i'm glad you liked it uh that was fun that was excellent <laughs> wonderful uh, i'm glad you feel that way so john thank you so much for coming on the show tonight and uh, we're going to drop a i suppose a link to your linkedin profile in the show notes in case anyone uh, would like to get in contact with you sounds great but yeah but anyway um from us uh the agile embedded podcast thank you so much for joining us tonight um this was a lot of fun. My pleasure. So this has been the Agile Embedded Podcast. My name is Luca Gianni, and I'm very excited to see you back here next time. Bye.